the season is filled with wonder. Would you agree with that? You know, I've been kind of wondering, and Pat, I should say Patty's been wondering when the Martin family lights are going to get hung. And, uh, you know, it hasn't happened yet. But I guarantee you today when the brownout happens in the neighborhoods, you know, it's like, it'll be like the, the Griswold family Christmas. They'll have to hit that nuclear override button, and uh, Duke Energy will be doing But I wonder, because I, as I drive around in the neighborhoods and I look at your beautiful lights, your lawns and all that, but I do wonder, you know, what's your light bill going to be? Um, for this season. And you guys, some of you have really gone all out. You got that, the yard animation and all those things that come alive. But that's what Christmas kind of is about because it draws attention, especially as Christians. If we can draw attention, and hopefully there's a, a, a nativity in your yard or something, it really draws significance of what the season brings. And I hope you'll take an opportunity um, to do that. Well, Christmas is also filled with a bunch of signs. It's, it's filled with um, mangers. It's filled with wise men. Um, it's filled with bogos, buy one, get one. You know, uh, we see all sorts of signs. But today I want to talk about the signs of angels, and that's really our theme today, is angels. And more importantly, what, what angels do in the Bible and the importance of angels. And I thought in order to um, kind of set that up, I, I went back and, and thought a little bit and, and reminded myself that, that it's really true about what Robert Fulgham said, that everything you ever wanted to know, you learn in kindergarten. Anybody ever read his book? Everything you ever want to know you learn in kindergarten. Great book, a lot of truth to that. So I want to kind of take us back in time and look at angels in a perspective of the eyes of children. So here's what some children say angels are. Here's Olive. Olive is age five, and Olive said, everybody's got it all wrong. Angels don't wear halos anymore. I forget why, but, but scientists are working on it. And then little Sarah, Sarah's seven, and Sarah says, angels have a lot to do and they keep very busy. If you lose a tooth, an angel flies through into the window and leaves money under your pillow. And then when it's cold, angels go south for the winter. <clears throat> now here's Peter, Peter age six. Angels don't eat much, but they drink a lot of milk from holy cows. <laughs> and then I love this one, uh, Gregory. Gregory says, I only know the names of two angels, Hark and Harold. <clears throat> but what, what are angels? Um, angels, uh, biblically, in both Greek and Hebrew, the word angel translates to the word messenger. So an angel is somebody who brings the word of God, who, who brings a message. We see in the Old Testament that, that the word angel or, or angels are discussed about 108 times, and in the New Testament, I think it's around 165 times. And so we see that it's, it's very important, and angels are very significant in the story of what God is telling. And we know that angels appear in two particular ways. A, to either bring a, a word of encouragement when someone's in trouble, or they bring a word of proclamation <clears throat> letting, <clears throat> excuse me, letting the community know that God is about ready to do something. So we know that, that angels are very important. We also know that when angels at least appear to people, there's a phrase that they use. Anybody know what the phrase is? Do not be afraid. And, and so you kind of wonder about why is that important in, in that. So I think what God, when God sends an angel and when an angel communicates the word of God, what, what God is really trying to say is don't be afraid of what you're about to see or what you're about to hear because it's really profound. So I want to uh, talk about a couple of angelic experiences today. The, the first one I want to talk about is with the angel Gabriel. And this actually is in Luke's gospel. The Bible only names two angels. They're Gabriel and who's the other one it names? Michael, Michael, the archangel. Uh, all the other angels don't have any names, but, but two are specifically named. So Gabriel appears to Mary in Luke's gospel, and, and a vision happens. And let me share with you what happens between 
uh, Gabriel and Mary. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, who was a descendant of David. Now that, that line is very important for us to remember, Joseph, who was a descendant of David. So hold on to that for a second. The virgin's name was married. What does that mean? It means that she has never been with a man sexually. Uh, the, the angel went to her and said, greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now the New Living Translation takes verse 29 and says, confused and disturbed. I mean, it's kind of like, duh. I mean, you know, confused and disturbed. It doesn't say Mary's afraid, but what it says is that she's confused and disturbed. She's seeing something that's happening. So, so Mary tried to think, the scripture says, what the angel could mean. So the angel follows this, this appearance with this expression, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God and you'll be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. So Joseph, descendant of David, the Lord will give Jesus the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom shall have no end. So we want to kind of hold on to this scene with Mary and Gabriel, the angel. We go to Matthew's gospel. In Matthew chapter 1, Matthew and Luke are the only two gospel writers that really give an account of the, um, the birth in the early years of Jesus. Uh, Mark begins with Jesus' uh, public ministry with John the Baptist. But we find out in, in Matthew's gospel, chapter 1, Matthew begins his gospel in chapter 1 giving us a genealogy. And a genealogy is who you're related to, okay? You know, today there's a lot of people that are doing their genealogy and their DNA to find out who all their ancestors are. Well, Matthew's making it very clear uh, who the descendants uh, are of Abraham to Jesus. Why, why, why did he do that? Well, when Matthew wrote his gospel in, in 70, um, the temple had been destroyed. The people of Judea or Jerusalem or Israelites were scattered. They saw temple worship as the center of their identity. So when Rome destroyed the temple, killed a, about a million Jews at that particular point, Matthew is writing to give encouragement and hope to the people of Israel. He's trying to remind them that you have a, you are a descendant of royalty. You are part of a community. And even though the temple building doesn't exist anymore, let me tell you who you're related to. And so he goes to the uh, beginning with Abraham all the way through the lineage of Jesus, and he gives the people their identity of who they are. So in Matthew chapter 1, we, we have learned also out of Luke's gospel, we learned a little bit about this relationship between Mary and Joseph. Now in early, um, in the ancient world, it was not uncommon for uh, arranged marriages to happen. It was called betrothals. And uh, when Mary was about at the age of 13, she became legally proper to be married. So she was married pretty early. Joseph, there's been a lot of speculation about his age, but he's probably about six years older than she was at the time. So Joseph's about 19-ish, Mary's around 13. And so, so the betrothal period comes. What's a betrothal? A betrothal is a time that is a lot like a marriage. They, they are called husband and wife. Um, they, uh, they, they do things publicly together, but that there's two specific things they cannot do during the betrothal period. Number one, they cannot have sexual relationships. They cannot consummate or anything like that. They have to be um, abstinent, so to speak. Uh, and secondly, the, the woman still lives with her parents, so, but she sees her betrothed uh, every day, and they kind of go off as uh, being man and husband and wife, uh, but those two things they can't do. So this is really important uh, to the story. So when the angel 
comes to Mary and says, you are going to be with child. She says, wait a minute, I'm a virgin. I've never been with a man. Um, I'm still pure. And how can this be? And the angel Gabriel is sharing with her some, some huge news. And he says that it's not going to be through a man that this child will be conceived. But it's going to be something that God does specifically. And that the Holy Spirit will come upon her. And the angel reiterates that with God, nothing is impossible. So Mary goes away to see her uh, cousin Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is well within years, into her late 80s, early 90s. And she is pregnant as well. And she is carrying John the Baptist, who is Jesus' cousin. So Mary's with her for about four months. And Mary comes back. And Joseph is just elated that his betrothed Mary has come back. And it's like, let's plan the wedding. Let's get everything ready for that time that we're going to go. And all of a sudden, he notices the baby bump. And he realizes at that moment, something has been compromised, something's happened. So Joseph's mind immediately goes to, Mary has committed adultery, she has been with another man, and another man has gotten her pregnant. And Joseph has not heard from the angel, he has not heard from God, but he was a God-fearing man. And he walked with God, and Joseph realized that this was going to be a huge problem, not only for them, but for him, he and his relationship, and Mary and her relationship. And he knew that this was a, a huge issue and quite a dilemma that comes. So, so, so Joseph begins to think, what can I do? And the law actually allowed one of two things to happen. A, he could expose her as an adulteress and say that she's carrying the child of another person. I'm her betrothed and it is not my child. And the law would say that they could actually stone her to death. Now, it wasn't like picking up a, a little rock and throwing it and hitting somebody. It was like putting her down into a place and rolling big stones on top of her. I mean, like smash her kind of stuff. So they could kill her for this. And so the second thing that the law allowed, the law also said that there was a quieter, a more gracious way out, that adultery would still be the case, but that Joseph would not have to go public about it. He would not have to tell the townspeople and the elders of the charges of adultery, but he could actually find three witnesses who would come into agreement with him that the charges were valid and quietly Mary could be, quote unquote, put away, meaning she could just be sent on her way outside of the community. She would have to go somewhere else, but no one would know that there were charges of adultery. So you can imagine the dilemma uh, that Joseph finds himself here. Jewish law back then required, if adultery was ever charged, you were required to get divorced. Unlike today, um, in, in our society, you know, I know lots of couples that there was a moral failure in their relationship, but they worked it all out through prayer, through counseling, through, through their uh, heart of God, and they were able to restore their marriage. But then it was, there was, it was a no-brainer. You, you had to get divorced, and it was something that had to happen. But we find out that Joseph is wrestling with this. And what's specific in the scripture in Matthew chapter one about Joseph in this situation is, it says that he has a conscience. And Joseph is wrestling with the fact of, how can I do this so that Mary is not harmed emotionally or spiritually or physically? So we know that Joseph is wrestling with this. You know, unlike today where, where couples that are in these kind of situations spend thousands of dollars with attorneys to get, you know, the dirty laundry out there to embarrass everybody and go public and the National Enquirer comes in and all that stuff. Joseph was saying, wait a minute, there has to be a different way. But the scripture tells us, though, that even though he was thinking that, he had almost made up his mind that he was going to divorce her quietly and he was going to go just you know, push her out of his life. 
And when that happens, when Joseph made that decision, that sparks the angel to do something. And here we pick it up. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. We need to remember that title, son of David. In Matthew's gospel, outside of Jesus, only one other person is referred to as the son of David, and that's Joseph. Why? Because the angel is reminding Joseph of the lineage, the genealogy. Matthew, earlier chapter one, he's reminding him that he is going to be critical in the determination of the Messiah's birth. So um, don't be afraid, the angel says, don't be afraid to take Mary into your home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, think about it for a second. I, Joseph has to be wrestling with this. And, and I can almost um, sense that his heart is breaking because uh, t- in order to um, not do anything is almost as if he would be publicly condoning the adultery. So, so Joseph is really in this huge dilemma, but the angel is reminding him that Joseph, just because you don't understand, just because you can't get your head around it, just because you're not willing at this moment to, to believe, let me remind you of some things. And he talks to him about the prophecy in Isaiah 9. And Isaiah comes back and is, is, had proclaimed that a Messiah would be born. And, and the angel basically says that, that God, speaking through the angel, says that God has you right where he wants you, Joseph. And Joseph, you're at a point in a place where you don't want to be, because Joseph didn't want to be in this predicament, but you need to trust me, God says. And when you think about that, how many times are you and I in predicaments? How many times are we in situations that we don't want to be in? How many times are we forced to do something or asked to do something or given the idea to do something? It's just not what we want to do. But let's say it's a little bit um, bigger than that, and let's say that it gets to a point where we're, we're being asked to do something that just is unsettling for us, but God wants us to do it, and we have to trust, and we have to be able to step forward from that. So the angel was sent to give Joseph a message of hope, and that message of hope was about Mary and the prophecy. There's a story of a, a couple of visitors that went uh, to, to uh, some public housing in an area in the inner city. And um, people were really struggling that lived there, and a lot of them were underfed. And they carried baskets of bread with them. And as they went up to one door, they knocked on the door, and they heard some loud screaming coming from the back from an older gentleman, uh, like an adult male and an adult female. And as the adult male opened the door to these two visitors, he screamed at them and said, what do you want? And the two visitors said, well, we just uh, came by to see if uh, anybody wanted any bread. And he's like, why would you ask me that? Well, because we had some extra and we're just trying to do something and let people know that God loves them. And the man stopped in the middle of his thought and he said, why would you say to me that God loves me? And they said, well, we don't know why we're supposed to say that, but that we're here and we really feel like the Spirit moved us to say that. Maybe it's a message that you need to hear today. And the man confessed to the two visitors. He said, you are here standing at our door two days after we buried our three-week-old son. And my wife and I have been totally torn apart by this. And we have had no hope. We have had thoughts that God had abandoned us, that, that nobody cared about us. And we were looking for a sign from God to give us some hope. And here you are standing at my door, knocking on it, saying that you want to share with us the love of God. And so they went inside and they prayed over the man. They prayed over his wife. 
And as they were leaving, as the door was closing, the man said to his wife, he said, see, honey, I told you that God was going to somehow find us through this and that God would send somebody to remind us of his hope and love. And I think that that's where we are this first Sunday of Advent, that so many of us need to be reminded of that, of, that, of God's hope and God's love. And what I say about God's hope is that, that, that it's the hope to take the next step in your life. Maybe you're at a kind of a sticking point or you're stuck in your life and you're, and you're looking for that hope to move ahead. Let God be that encourager for you. Maybe God is giving you the hope to do something this Christmas season that you thought that you could never do. Maybe God is giving you the hope to offer forgiveness to somebody who harmed you. Maybe God is giving you the hope to, to receive forgiveness from somebody uh, who's harmed you or that you are having to offer to that you have harmed. Maybe God is giving you the hope to take a step in life that you're just totally scared to take, but you have to take that step in order for your life to be right again. God is trying to give you that hope to do that. The question is, will you listen? Sometimes we have angels that come to us, that speak to us in our greatest need. Christmas time is, is also a time when God takes a risk. And as I read Matthew's gospel, right here is the risk, that God took the risk when he sent the angel to Joseph because there was no guarantee what Joseph would do. And I asked the question this morning, as we begin the Advent season with angels and, and looking at the story of Mary and Joseph, how would the Christmas story have been different if Joseph would have said, no, I'm going forward with my plan and I'm going to divorce Mary? You see, God nudges us, and he moves us into the unknown for the sole purpose of, of helping us to grow. And God takes a big risk. He takes a huge risk when he steps out in favor, and an unbelievable thing when he showers Joseph with his love and his grace. And the question becomes for us this morning, what about us? Are we willing to take that risk? Are we willing to receive the hope of God? Are we willing to listen to the voices of those that God has sent to us, specifically angels, and will we listen to what they have to say? You know, angels still do talk to us. Angels still do appear. The question is, will you believe that? Do you believe that? Who knows today, instead of it be me speaking with you, maybe it's an angel instead. 